Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Ball Banter. If you're listening live, thank you for tuning in here on WMUA 91.1. I'm joined once again by my friends Sean and Devin, and unfortunately, our friend Taylor is out right now. He's sick, so Taylor, if you're listening, I hope you're feeling a little better. I'm going to introduce my friend and our newest guest, Luke Campbell. Luke, if you want to introduce yourself real quick before we get going here. What's up, guys? I'm a sophomore here at UMass, a legal studies major, and I love talking hoops, so I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you. So I think the best part about having a podcast once a week around this time and talking about the basketball is that there is so much to get to. There were no exceptions this week. First week of you know NBA playoff basketball, really exciting. Some really great games, some really great performances. So let's dive right into it here. So my first question is going to be directed at Sean. The Warriors have looked absolutely disgusting so far to start these playoffs. I mean, their five-man lineup of Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, you know, Steph, uh, Draymond, and Clay has been killer and it's the first time we've really seen all five of those guys you know healthy and playing together so is this new death lineup and i hate calling it that because you know the original death lineup did have a certain guy named kevin durant but is the warriors new death lineup the best five-man lineup in these playoffs there's no doubt that the past two games for them have been insane they the three uh splash brothers jordan Poole, steph curry and clay thompson have combined for 164 points over the past two games which if you think of a trio that is just absurd numbers and again they are facing the nuggets you can't act like the nuggets are the best defensive team out there but this starting five is definitely making it to the western conference final i think they even take the west at this point it's obvious that this starting five is insanely dominant and i think the best defensive teams are on the east coast and so in the Eastern Conference, um, I think it's going to be an insane matchup in the final of the Golden State Warriors, who I think take the West and whatever team makes it out of the East. So, Yeah, I mean, the Warriors, their five is, is ridiculous. I mean, they just have the depth. You think Steph's on limited minutes. Uh, he only played 31 last night, but he still was able to scramble 27 points along with Jordan Poole at 27 on 9 of 13 from the field. He was fantastic. And both those guys combined with Green and Wiggins' defense have, you know, there's not much better than you can get from there. I mean, yeah, they're not going to have a problem scoring with this lineup, but if they see Memphis next round, the number one offensive rebounding team, I don't know how those five are going to stand with that. Like, Dre being the biggest, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's tough for me. Like, I love the Celtics starting five, and obviously I'm a little bit biased because I love the C's, but... I mean, a healthy starting five for the Celtics. I mean, they had the best offensive rating in the NBA over the past 35 games. They have the best defensive rating over the past 35 games. They have the best net rating. They're very legit with Robert Williams. They're very legit. I mean, even without him, they've looked absolutely outstanding to start these playoffs. I'm going to give it to the Celtics in terms of a, in terms of a five-man lineup. In terms of offense and, like, closing ability, the Warriors, I, I think, are the best five-man lineup out there. I mean... They're absolutely unguardable in terms of perimeter shooting. I mean, they have four guys that can shoot threes. I mean, Draymond can, you know, occasionally hit one. Uh, and then how quick everyone was to forget how good this team was in the beginning of the year, I think, is really funny. I mean, with, with a healthy staff in the beginning of the year with no clay, they were, I mean, in talks of, you know, winning the finals. And all of a sudden, people are, you know, hop on the Grizzlies train, hop on the Nets train because, you know, Steph gets injured. They start, you know, falling a few games off. And all of a sudden, here they are again. They got a healthy five-man lineup, like I said, for the first time all season. Clay's looking like Clay again, which is a problem for the rest of the NBA. And Steph is, you know, Steph's going to be Steph. And Jordan Poole has really kept that championship window yeah. open. I mean, he's been a stud all year. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, 
it's hard to look away from those Warriors. And you got to like love Jordan Poole's journey. I mean, playing in the G League last year and then finally making <clears throat> excuse me his debut in the playoffs last year and giving good minutes in the playing game for the Warriors. And now he's like starting to become one of the stars in the NBA, one of the young stars, rather. And just really admirable to see a guy go from kind of rags to riches just like that. Yeah, 100%. Jordan Poole has been that guy. And I think we can finally say the Splash Brothers found their third for sure, brother. Yeah. No, yeah, 100%. And I think the last thing that's really important for this Warriors lineup as well is Draymond being able to op- to defend the opposing big has been huge. I mean, his de- his defense on Jokic has been outstanding in these playoffs so far. And on top of that, y- you can't really play a big man versus this lineup. Like Rudy Gobert, defensive player of the year candidate, he would look he's looking silly right now in the Mavericks series because he's too big to guard any of their perimeter guys. What if they matched up with the Warriors, for example? I mean, that's just, and I'm just throwing a name out there, but like, you can't really defend that lineup because they have so so many guys that can beat you off the dribble and create for themselves and create for others. And you know, that kind of gets me into this next transition here: the Utah Jazz. Man, they. I love Donovan Mitchell. Sean knows I love Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I think he's a stud in the NBA. I think he's a star. I mean, he's a great player. He's great offensively. He can create for others, but. They have just not looked very good here in these playoffs, and that's without Luka Doncic, which is the most surprising part for me. I don't think many people would have picked the Mavericks to upset the Jazz, but here we are at 2-1 in the series. Jalen Brunson has been a walking bucket to start this mm-hmm. playoff, to start these playoffs. I mean, he's, he's combined for, I think, like 72 points the past two games, which is absolutely ridiculous. What is at stake, Luke, I'm going to start here with you. What is at stake for the Utah Jazz if they lose to the Mavericks in this series? I'm hoping to rebuild because I feel like I'm watching the same team over and over again, kill it in the regular season, and then you get to the playoffs and then their first or second round exit, and you never really give them a chance to win the West because, I mean, they can't. They're not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. It seems like there's just one key piece missing. I mean, they have scoring with Mitchell. They have defense with Gobert. Um, there's just something in between those two guys. Maybe you could argue a while back they had it in Hayward when he was kind of going through his prime, but they haven't had that kind of uh, forward who can score and also provide you uh, with some good minutes, and I think that that's going to lead to their rebuild. You can't be losing uh, games. You can't be booed by your own fans in your own building in the playoffs um, with Luka Doncic not on the floor. That's just unacceptable. Yeah, I mean... I don't know about Rudy Gobert. Just the eye test, I don't think he passes it at all. I absolutely hate Rudy Gobert. Uh, A guy that big should be able to post up a guy who's smaller than him and be able to work down low. He just cannot do that at all. Whenever he gets the ball and starts dribbling, I want to stop watching the game immediately. So Rudy Gobert, I think this summer they got to get rid of him. They got to start looking for some other pieces to fit around Mitchell. Because Mitchell can be your guy to be your ball handler and get you buckets. He's shown that in the playoffs. Just every single time he makes the playoffs, he puts up a a performance. But Rudy Gobert is not a piece that I'd want around him, really. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Rudy Gobert is going to be shipped out of Utah if they lose this series 100%. You can't lose to the Dallas Mavericks without Luka Doncic. I mean, Luka Doncic is a superstar. No one's going to debate that. He's a arguably a top five player in the NBA. And you're going to lose to the Mavericks without Luka? I mean, they they have Jalen Brunson, Dorian Finney-Smith, like Maxi Kleber. Dinwiddie. Yeah, like Dinwiddie. I mean, Dinwiddie absolutely killed me the other day. 
it is absurd to think that this is even a close series. I mean, at home, the Jazz collapsed versus that Mavericks team. How the Mavericks even score over 120 points last night is absurd to me without, you know, their engine or Luka Doncic. But, Luke, you talked about a rebuild, and I could not agree more because this team clearly needs, you know, some new personnel, some new coaching. I don't know what it is. I love Quinn Snyder as a coach, but, you know, you can't, again, you can't lose these Mavericks. What exactly, who, what needs to happen in the offseason for the Jazz? I don't even know, honestly. Just, like you said, get rid of Gobert. I think keep Donovan. I don't know. You can get so much for Mitchell that I feel like at this point the franchise is going nowhere. Just completely wash it, get a bunch of picks. I don't even know who to build around. Just Clarkson, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I think the tough part, too, is Utah is such a small market. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that. that's something that... That's that, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, like, you, you don't... You can't sell out Donovan because when is the next time? When was the last time Utah had a Donovan? Like you can argue for Gordon Hayward, but Gordon Hayward wasn't on Donovan Mitchell's level. He was like mm-hmm. a, you know, he was a three star, three and a half star player. So I, I don't know, I don't know what you do if you're the Jazz. You can't sell out Donovan Mitchell. I don't think. I think Donovan Mitchell could walk in the offseason. I mean, if I'm him, I'm like, why not go to a bigger market where I can find my where I can find my Robin or even find my Batman, depending on how you view Donovan Mitchell. I don't know if he could be the best player on a championship team. Do we think Donovan Mitchell could be the best player on a championship team? I, no. I think for the Jazz, yeah. I think they got to keep him. I, for Mitchell, it makes sense to go find someone else, but I think you keep him and you find another guy who can have the ball and make plays for you because I think, I think Donovan Mitchell can be your second best player, without a doubt. Oh, sure. yeah. They, they just need someone that can always handle the ball and get them primary buckets while Mitchell's getting them secondary buckets. Yeah, yeah. no, I 100% agree with you. Um, he's just going to be the number two guy. It's the unfortunate reality, but, you know, it reminds me a lot of uh, Isaiah Thomas in Boston a few years ago. Like, everybody loved him, hometown favorite, but, uh, you know, he just wasn't going to be the guy that's going to lead Boston to that championship. And I think Utah needs to explore an option to either sign a new guy in free agency or they're going to be forced into a rebuild because I don't think Mitchell's going to be enough. Yeah, I definitely agree. I'll leave, I'll leave it with this. Like, you, you don't see many... I mean, Don Mitchell's definitely a shooting guard, but he, he's very ball-dominant. You don't see many point guards these days be the best player on a championship team. Like, championship team. like we see... You know, Steph Curry, who's kind of an anomaly because Don Mitchell is not Steph Curry, and I don't think any of us are going to argue for that. I personally don't think that Donald Mitchell could be the best player on a championship team. I mean, we'll see what happens. I, I think they're going to lose this series because Luka Doncic is coming back in Game 4, and I promise you this, there is no way that the Dallas Mavericks are going to be worse off with you know the arguably one of the best players. Or no, not arguably. One of the best players in the NBA. Um, so we're going to move on here. What team should be favored to hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy? I think that this is one of the best questions out in the like right now because there are so many good teams. Sean and I were talking about this the other day. There's just so many good teams in the NBA this year. There's so many teams that, you know, could go to the finals, could win a championship, and especially with all these superstar injuries, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, but there's so many injuries to really big names in these playoffs. The door is really wide open for anyone to, you know, kind of go in and go win the finals this year. So I'm going to direct this one to Devin first. Who should be favored to hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy this year? So I'm going to kind of jump a few guns here. I know we got our itinerary, but I think it, in order to answer this question, you definitely need to know who is out and why and how that affects everybody else. So I definitely think it's going to be a team in the East. Obviously, the Warriors have been great in the West. 
Um, but the Suns have lost Devin Booker, I think it was two to three weeks, so that's going to hurt their odds. Um, maybe when he comes back, they'll be able to get back on track, but, you know, there's still that getting your land legs again. Chris Middleton is out in Milwaukee for four weeks, um, so that's going to hurt the Bucks. They lost to Chicago the other day, so um, we'll see how that goes. So I think the favorites are the Celtics and the Sixers. Uh, Celtics are up 2-0. Uh, I've been really impressed with their gameplay uh, all around. In the Sixers, their tenacity and able to come back. They had that fourth quarter uh, comeback, which forced their OT win. They won by a three, I think, and Bede hit it. And uh, it was fantastic game. And they're up 3-0 on Raptors, who we all thought was a dark horse candidate going in. So Celtics and Sixers, I think, are my front runners. Yeah, that shot by Embiid at the end of the game was absurd. That three was crazy. A turnaround from a big man with point nine seconds on the shot clock. A little revenge for their series a few years ago, maybe? I know, I know. Big-time revenge. He was definitely thinking about that Kawhi shot. But, no, nah, I think I think the Celtics, when they get Robert Williams back, maybe it's bias, but I think defense beats offense in a mm-hmm. seven-game series. I think we're going to see the Warriors make it, and I don't think that Warriors team is going to have as easy a time putting up buckets against Celtics defense. So I'm going to go with the Warriors, not just because they have the most talent, but their road to get there. Seems like the easiest. We can say that they're past Denver by now. 3-0, they're not coming back. And then they're going to have Memphis. Tough team, but they match up pretty well. And then if they get the Suns in the Western Conference Finals, which everyone thinks would be the <coughs> excuse me, toughest matchup, Book not being 100%, they might go 6, maybe even 7 with the Pelicans now. They're not going to be as well rested. It's kind of lining up very well for the Warriors to at least get there. And if they have the easiest chance to get there, I'm just going to pick them. Yeah, I think it might be even tough for the Suns to make the Western Conference Final now. I mean, you lost your best player, the guy who puts up the most points for you. So I don't know if they make it past the Pelicans anymore. I think I'm jumping ship on the Suns. Oh my God! Yeah, I'm, was, doing come on. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Jumping ship that easy? Yes, man. Taylor, Taylor, I got you. Brandon Ingram, baby. He's Amanda putting up chip. the buckets. Amanda no, chip. no, no, no. The Suns have still been the best. I, oh, okay. I mean, yeah. we're gonna talk about this a little bit later, but the Suns have been the best team in the regular season all year. I, I can really respect what the Pelicans are doing out there. Brandon Ingram, thirty-seven, nine, and eleven. Like you, come on. That's gross. They're, that's disgusting. They're eight and six this year without Booker. Yeah. I... I I gotta roll with Chris Paul and Monty Williams. You, you, you really think that I'm they're jumping. gonna win? I'm jumping ship. I'm jumping. I'm, I'm yeah. You're jumping both jumping ship, ship on the on the Suns. Booker's yep. a huge piece. I'm gone. He's a huge piece. He is a huge piece. But they still have Chris Paul. They have Monty Williams, Mikael Bridges. Like they, they still do. have the best player in the series. They have the best coach in the series. They have probably the best third. The best player. bucket the in best... the series is the Pelicans, though. Yeah, Brandon Ingram. He's the best scorer on there, on the court. And I think. They might even have the secondary best bucket on the court, too, with CJ. Yeah, I'm really nah. liking CJ. Not <laughs> against Chris Paul. Bucket, man. Okay. Chris Paul is the best playmaker, without a doubt. But I think I give the buckets to the Pelicans, man. Yeah. I, I, I don't to. know. I don't know. It, it'll, be, it'll be very interesting to see what happens in that series. I mean, all of a sudden, you're kind of looking at that game, and you're like, really, again, for Chris Paul? I, I almost feel bad at this point. Like, There's yeah. been so yeah. many th- times in his career where it's just come down to one little thing. Like he gets COVID last year and like around the Western Conference Finals, mm-hmm. you know, that year with the Rockets, they go to game seven, he hurts his ankle. Clippers, bunch of series. Oh, I know. It, it pains me it to, see this. to see this. It, it hurts me to see this. I, I just want to see like a healthy Suns Warriors matchup in the Western Conference Finals. I think it'd be really fun. But it is around 11.15, which means that we are going to get into our advertisement. So thank you guys for sticking with us here at WMUA 91.1. We'll be back in just a minute. 
message from Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. I came to Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous overweight and depressed. I was dieting, binging, stealing food, and lying about it for years. For help, call 781-932-6300 or visit foodaddicts.org. I knew I had a weight problem. I didn't know I was addicted to food. The FA program gave me a healthy body. I'm free from obsessing about my weight or food. Call FA 781-932-6300 or visit us on our website at foodaddicts.org. All right, thank you once again for joining us here at WMUA 91.1. This, you're listening to Ball Banter's second episode. So we're going to jump right back into it here. I just mentioned stars getting injured. Chris Middleton now injured. For, he, I, don't know, I don't know exactly what the timetable is, but an MCL injury, four weeks. Oh, my God, four weeks for Chris Middleton. That, yeah. is, that is very tough for the Bucks. He's kind of their closer. Uh, but you also got, obviously, Luka Doncic out and Devin Booker. So... Luke, we're going to start here with you. Which star's injury hurts their team of winning a championship the most? I think without a doubt it's Booker. We just had the conversation that we went from the Suns being arguably the best team in the West to two of the four guys picking the Pelicans over the Suns, which is still absurd. But, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, Luke is back <laughs> soon for the Mavs, and they're already up 2-1, so he, they're fine. They're not going to win the championship, but they didn't have a chance before. And then Middleton, that hurts, obviously, but I had the heat over the Bucks anyway, so I'm just, the Suns just went from favorites to maybe fifth in line. Uh, yeah, I got, I'm got to say Devin Booker. I mean, I jump ship, I'm riding Pelicans. The When he was out this season, Devin Booker, their net rating was one, and with him it's 8.9, which is the best in the league. It goes from being awful to being an absurd net rating uh, with Devin Booker. So, yeah. I got to say it. And then in terms of Chris Middleton being out, I think it gives the Bulls a little bit more of a chance. They have a little more hope. But the Bucks are still just a way better team. Mm-hmm. I think I think they definitely still make it through. Maybe it's one or two games more than that they would not like like to see, but uh yeah, Chris Middleton being out, I don't think it hurts the Bucks in this round, but against the Celtics, that's going to be a big loss. Yeah, I don't want to sound like a broken record. Devin Booker, period, end. I'm also going to ride the Devin Booker train. Don't jinx us, by the way, saying, <laughs> you know, Buck Celtics already. But no, I, I'm not saying already we're going to win, but it's definitely going to hurt. Yeah, no, it, it it is Devin Booker. I mean, the Suns were the best regular team in the association for one reason, and that was they were a, weld, they were a well-oiled machine. Like, they checked every box that you'd need. As a championship contender, you need playmaking leadership. You got Chris Paul. You need coaching. You got the coach of the year, Monty Williams. Three-point shooting, you got Cam Johnson. You got Landry Shamit. You need defending. You have the, the runner-up for defensive player of the year, Mikal Bridges. You need, again, leadership and playmaking. You have it with Chris Paul. Again, like he is a stud. He's an MVP candidate. They check every box. You need two great centers. You, well, you have a great backup center in JaVale McGee, best, one of the best young centers in the game in DeAndre Ayton. The Suns check every single box. The last, the only thing I haven't touched upon is scoring, and they had that in Devin Booker. You take away one of those cogs, you know, a very key cog, I might add, and that machine doesn't start working the same way. You know, like it, it doesn't run the same. It's not the same contender that they were. Like Devin Booker is a player that they can hand the ball off to at the end of games, and I think this is the biggest part. He's a closer. We've seen Devin Booker close games all season. He's been absolutely clutch in crunch time. And they, they still kind of have that in Chris Paul. Like, Chris Paul can most certainly get a bucket. He can give buckets out to DeAndre Ayton. 
it's not the same team without Devin Booker. He, I think he's kind of like the, like I said, like he's one of the key cogs in this whole machine. The Suns are going to be fine in this series, but there is no way they get by the Grizzlies if Devin Booker is not playing, in my opinion. And Cam, I hope you're listening. The Timberwolves are done. It's over. They just won yeah. the series last night. But thanks for calling me when they were up 26. I hope you're listening. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see a way that the Suns beat the Grizzlies if Devin Booker is not healthy. And now, let's talk about these Boston Celtics. This is the best team I've ever seen ever since I've been a fan, probably since around, you know, 2013 when I started watching Celtics. This has been the most impressive team that I've, you know, been a fan of, and it's just really great to see them turn turn it all around. We touched upon that last week. There's so many different names you could throw at this one for this next question. Sean, I'm going to start here with you. Who has impressed you the most on this Celtics team? I got to say Al Horford, Ben. At the... The first half of the season, I was thinking this isn't the same Al as his first run with the Celtics, but in this series, he's been our most consistent player by far. He's keeping us in games, hitting big buckets for us, playing great D. Bruce Brown, call out call out Al again, man. Just see him turn up. Like, come on. What has been even more impressive for me is the defending by Tatum. I knew Tatum was a good defender, but this stat that I saw yesterday was absurd. He guarded Durant for 10 minutes in 33 seconds and held them to four points on over seven shooting with three turnovers and a block against who we might say is the best offensive player in the entire league come on tatum yeah he's he's been a set on that end Just uh, kudos to sean uh definitely took uh the tatum stat but i have a, it's kind of a little more blown up so i read that he's guarded 168 possessions in this series uh and he's held his opponents to just 16 points on eight of 25 from the field He's forced 10 turnovers and had three blocks, two of which at the hands of Kevin Durant. So he's just been sensational, and he's really needed to step up. I um, talked about in the last episode how I've been out on uh, playoff Jason Tatum, but he's got 25, 5, and 9 on the series so far, 100% from the field in the clutch time. He is really showing that he can be a superstar in this league. Uh, I've been really impressed with him. Al Horford, as you said, with the exception of the second half of Game 1, I thought he was also really good. Uh, I thought he had a lot of turnovers and uh, missed a few layups in Game 1, but other than that, he's been perfect. And then Grant Williams, he was perfect from the field uh, in Game 2. He was sensational, and I was really enjoying watching Grant play, 3 of 3 from beyond the arc, and I think he had 21 points. Yeah, one guy who's not getting enough love, actually, Peyton Pritchard. He only has 24 minutes, but he's shooting 85% from the field on eight shots, just coming off the bench for a couple minutes, giving us a spark when we need a bucket. He seems to have that mid-range down right now. He's he's a bucket right now. I don't know. That's all I got to say. Yeah, that, that step-back three he hit mm. in the game two. Yeah. Wow. I was out of my seat. That was absurd yeah. by Peyton. Yeah, and, and he mixed Nicholas Claxton, too. Yeah. So, yeah, no, he, he's been gross, too. I mean, for the Nets, I think it's really funny because, like I said last week, their whole like kind of team philosophy is that we have the two better players, we have the two more talented players, and we're going to beat you. And so far, that has not worked against Ime Adoka, who I believe um, it was. I mean, he was most certainly a, a candidate for Coach of the Year, and he's been the best coach in the series. I mean, Steve Nash is going to be out of a job after the series if the Nets end up losing the series. I mean, he's looked absolutely awful in terms of adjustments made in game and you know even in between games i mean it looks like the nets just say that you know we have two better players go out and play and that wasn't that hasn't been true so far 
And a big part of that is Kevin Durant's struggles, which leads me right into here, into this next question. So is Kevin Durant still the best player? Well, is Kevin Durant the best player in the world? Uh, that, that's a tough question. This series is making it look really tough. I don't think we can base it on this series, though. I still give it to Kevin Durant for being the best player in the world. It's just unstoppable. His length, his size, when he gets into that mid-range, he's automatic. That hasn't been true this series, but during the regular season, we could see that. He was even possibly going to be considered for MVP if he didn't get injured during this season. He was playing unbelievable at the start of the season, so I still got to give it to Kevin Durant for being the best. I think he's the best offensive player in basketball, um, but I wouldn't say the best entire player. Um, he showed he can be contained, too. I mean, he went 4 of 17 from the field in Game 2. He's just being locked down by Jason Tatum, who is not your traditional great defender, but he's been giving good minutes and um, proving that he can lock down Kevin Durant. His bread and butter uh, being Durant's is uh, you know that pull-up jump shot, and that's something that he usually hits with minimal space. And he has not been knocking that down. Um, and he's relied on a lot of his points from the line and had a lot of trouble from the field. Yeah, I think this series is going to hurt Kevin Durant's future, not because of media, but we're giving teams a blueprint on how to stop him. Like, jump screens, throw two guys at him, be physical, don't let him get to his spots. Like, teams are going to now, they know what to do to stop him. Yeah, the physicality is the biggest part. You see any time that there's a defender on Durant, they're right up in him. When they, he comes off a screen, they're hitting him. Like Kevin Durant doesn't really have the build for this physical play that the Boston Celtics are playing on him every single time down the court. Yeah, and let's give some credit to the refs too. I mean, they're really letting him play out there in they a way are. that, I mean, it, it's it was infuriating the first quarter of Game One because I remember it. It, oh, it was just horrible. call after call. There's no rhythm to the game. They're really letting them get physical now with Kevin Durant. I absolutely love it. It, it feels like playoff basketball. It is playoff basketball. I mean. Every game just feels like a Game 7. I mean, it was incredible to watch them come back. Kevin Durant is still the best player in the world. And I will say that... Yes, Luke? Oh, no. Continue. continue. Uh, sorry about that. I, it, it feels almost as if the media... Ha- I mean, we have to be fair, though. Because if this was LeBron James, we would be crucifying him. The media would be crucifying LeBron yeah. James if he went over 10 in the second half. We have to give the same energy to the player that we think is the best player in the world. And that is Kevin Durant. I, I think it is. He's unguardable. You can't really do anything about it. But when you could tell he was rattled halfway through the third quarter, when do you see Kevin Durant miss two free throws? Yeah. When does that happen? That doesn't happen. That does not happen. He, the refs did let us play, and we were physical. He did still have 20 free throws. So mm. he's, he's always going to get his. Like four for 17 from the field and still scoring, what was it, 27? Yeah. Like, that's unheard of. He, 18 points from the line. He's yeah. going to get his. Some James Harden type numbers right there. And like Joel Embiid. Yeah, I, it, it's tough. It's tough. And now apparently the Nets savior, Ben Simmons, <laughs> is coming back apparently for game four, which I'm very, very excited about. It Does his return to the court affect this series in any way? Does it change the outcome? I feel like on the defensive end it might a little bit. I feel that he's probably going to be guarding Tatum. And Ben Simmons is a great defender. We know that he just can't do anything on the other end except pass the ball but on the defensive end it's definitely going to help them they they need that defensive spark so i think that simmons return um 
it's going to help with their interior scoring, which is something that they've struggled with all series. Celtics have dominated inside the paint and uh, been able to like almost double the net scoring game one. Game two, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but Celtics took that one again too. So Simmons, obviously not your traditional shooter. He gets a lot of crap about it, so he's not going to be chucking up jump shots. I think he'll be able to get you some good scoring inside and also, like you said, Sean, provide you some good defense. And with that being said, I think that the chemistry might not be there for Brooklyn, so we'll see how well he fits in the lineup, but I don't think it can substantially hurt the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, it's always a risk to throw a guy into a lineup midway into the playoffs when he's never played minutes with these guys, but going into the playoffs, my mindset was, if they're up in the series against the Celtics, I wouldn't risk bringing Simmons back, but being down and clearly outplayed, there's no harm in throwing him in, changing it up. I think there definitely is harm in it because where I, what I don't understand is where does he fit in terms of like a lineup? Because you can't really play Ben Simmons with Claxton or Drummond in terms of like he, he the floor spacing just isn't the same out there. So you have two play, two players probably in the dunking spot. And if Robert Williams comes back, you know how they like to hide him on non-shooters so he can just lurk around and block the Jesus out of people. It, like if you put... Robert Williams on Ben Simmons, he's probably going to have eight blocks just because he can go wherever on the court and just pretty much just leave him in the corner or wherever Ben Simmons tends to lurk because I haven't, I can't even remember because he hasn't played in 10 months. Yeah. So I will end this radio show the same way that we ended it last week by saying that he will be a non-factor. I, I don't see him playing more than 20 minutes. I don't even know if he's in shape to play an NBA game. I mean, we again, we haven't seen him. Defensively, you know, he might make a slight difference. He can guard probably uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as good as, you know, Kevin Durant can, which is as good as the Nets really have. But, you know, this next game is going to be huge for the Celtics. I'm really excited about it. Series on the line. But thank you so much for tuning in here and listening with us at Ball on listening to Ball Banter here on WMUA 91.1. Hope everyone has a great day and thanks for listening in.